reading from Isaiah, the son of Amos, chapter 53, verses 10 through 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. For him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I got you. Okay. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we can't begin to understand the mystery of sending your only begotten Son to be crushed for our sins. Lord, your Son was perfect, sinless, without guilt. And yet he who knew no sin became sin for our sake, that we would be seen and declared righteous. God, would you help us to appreciate the good news of the gospel tonight, that we would give thanks for who we have in Jesus, that we would see how he modeled humility, even to the point of a cross, and that, God, we would see this suffering servant tonight and how with his very breath, he offers true hope, everlasting hope to each and every one of us tonight. God, would you help us to see the promise of paradise in scripture tonight that you offer all who would just profess faith in your son, Jesus. Help us to appreciate that for when we decided it for ourselves. Help us to, to offer that same true hope that was once breathed to us that we would breathe it to others. God, would you bless our time of worship tonight? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, do you ever pay attention to your breathing? Maybe only when someone instructs you to, right? Inhale, exhale. Do you all kind of tend to do that like naturally? Like you could even be watching a TV show on your couch, watching an actor portray a doctor, and he's uh, instructing the, the patient, all right, inhale, and there you are on your couch in between snacks, and you go, <gasps> exhale, <sighs> right? Maybe even do it without thinking. Other than that, do you pay much attention to your breathing? Well, tonight, I want to show you how important a breath can be with our sermon tonight called A Breath of True Hope. A Breath of True Hope. And we're going to see this in Luke chapter 23, looking at verses 32 through 43. Let me pray for us and we'll jump into the text. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, just as you breathe life into Adam at creation, that Holy Spirit, you would breathe life into us right now. God, fill us 
with the life that only you can produce in us. For we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but Lord God, you have saved us by your grace through faith in Christ. So Holy Spirit, fill us now to hear your word very powerfully and very clearly tonight as we view the the death of Jesus on the cross and hear his words uttered uh, from that cross. God, would you be with us tonight? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 23, looking at verses 32 through 43, God's word says this. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, "Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us." But the other rebuked him saying, "Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong." And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus, said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, Our our current series is Stories of Hope. And we're concluding it here tonight with this incredible story. This story in Luke chapter 23 shows us hope in the final breaths of Jesus' life on the cross before his death and resurrection. It is a story that takes a prominent position within the greatest moment in all of human history. But just like any other story, it has parts, it has movements and acts that carry the story along. And so our first act that I see here in the text is act one. History is made. History is made. Look again at verses 32 and 33. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. I want to draw your attention to the words, there they crucified him. It is a brief statement that reveals a place, a person, and an action. 
The Gospels, along with the rest of Holy Scripture, are a reliable record of human history. 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, all of them point forwards and backwards to this moment in history. Numerous prophecies are fulfilled in this text, which is why I had Jay read Isaiah 53, one of them. Most, one of the most important ones of talking about the suffering servant in, the gospel, in uh, Isaiah. There is a place, a person, and an action. The place, Golgotha, also known as the place of the skull. It was a place just outside the city. It had been given the name because it was a place for execution, and it was near a number of tombs, and there was some thought that it was a a site that in some way resembled that of a skull, a place, and then a person, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and had an earthly ministry that consisted of healings, exorcisms, teaching and preaching, along with other miracles recorded in Scripture that proved that he was God in the flesh. The place, the person, and then the action. Jesus was at Golgotha, and there he was crucified by Rome, by demand of the Jews. The Jewish rulers plotted to have Jesus killed throughout his earthly ministry. And eventually they were successful only when Jesus offered up himself to be arrested by Roman soldiers for crimes he did not commit. Tried by both Pontius Pilate and Herod and found innocent and then crucified because of the demands of the crowds who yelled out, Crucify Him! At this point, it might be helpful to know what exactly crucifixion is. Crucifixion was widely practiced by the Romans in the first century. Modern medical explanations for the cause of death on a cross have focused on either asphyxiation or shock. Crucifixion was widely believed to be the worst form of execution due to the excruciating pain and the public shame. Hanging, suspended by one's arms, eventually caused great difficulty in breathing, which could be alleviated only by pushing up with one's feet to take the weight off the arms. But that motion itself would cause severe pain in the feet and the arms and the legs and the back, causing the exhausted victim to slump down again, only to be nearly unable to breathe once more. Eventually, the victim would succumb to suffocation if he had not already died as a result of the cumulative effect of the physical trauma inflicted on him. That is what Jesus experienced on the cross for hours. That is the extent to which God hates sin and loves you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin." 
who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A key truth to take away from this, it's not on the screen, but it's one that I'd love for you to pay attention to because it's important for where we're headed. To Jesus and both the criminals crucified alongside him, every breath is precious and valuable. To Jesus, who's being crucified, along with the criminals, to all of them who are being crucified that day, every breath is precious and valuable. The truth is what makes the rest of the text, this truth is what makes the rest of the text absolutely captivating. Any word uttered during such a gruesome act of torture and execution isn't spoken unless they feel compelled to painfully speak it. And look at what Jesus says next in verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's, that's the pace at which he would have said that. Gasping for breath, lifting up on the feet that are nailed to the cross with every utterance of those words. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This begins Act 2. Act 2, forgiveness is petitioned. Forgiveness is petitioned. Let's look again at verses 34 through 38. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they, that is the Roman soldiers, cast lots to divide his garments. This actually fulfills uh, scripture in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. 18. And the people stood by watching. But it's the rulers who scoffed at him. You see, the, the crowd is no longer saying crucify him. They now see what... They're crying out, crucify him, has actually produced. And it is gruesome and ugly. In fact, they will later on leave there, beating their chests, regretting what they've done. But the rulers, they are getting exactly what they've wanted all along. And that is why the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him say himself. Did you notice that they say something very true, and it is followed by doubt? He saved others. That's valid. They noticed. He did save others. But they scoff and mock and doubt. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God. If he is the chosen one. It is now them putting Jesus on trial. As if to say, prove yourself, son of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. How ironic. Something that is posted to mock Jesus is actually very true. This is the king of the Jews. 
Here I would like to draw your attention to the very words of Jesus uttered from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I want to show you three things in particular about this. The first is that Jesus petitions the Father to offer hope. Jesus petitions the Father to offer hope. He says, Father, forgive them. And this shows us something occurring within the Trinity. Right? The second person of our triune God is submitting this request to the first person of our triune God, the Father, the one who ultimately is doing the forgiving. Now, we saw Jesus forgive sins all throughout the Gospels. It's true. He showed that he has the power and the authority to do that. But ultimately, when it comes to our relationship with God, we seek the forgiveness of God the Father through the Son. Jesus petitions the Father to offer hope. Second, Jesus intercedes for his enemies because of their ignorance. Forgive them. They know not what they do. They didn't realize the gravity of what was occurring right then and right there. In fact, in another gospel, it tells us about how one of the Roman soldiers did say, surely this is the Son of God. And Jesus, being the perfect mediator, intercedes on their behalf, showing who he is for us in this moment with every breath. And then finally, Jesus provides the basis upon which they can be forgiven. As he is dying, uttering these breaths, showing what the basis of the forgiveness is, it is his death. It is his death. The basis is his death on that cross. That is how we have the forgiveness of sins is that Jesus was obedient to what the Father's will was, to glory, to the glory of the Father. And then we approach Act 3, where I want to spend a little bit more time. Act 3, paradise is promised. Paradise is promised. And we see this in verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, realistically, this would have been, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us, right? Even his breath is valuable and precious even if he wastes it. This is his own act of desperation, but it's filled with doubt, and the doubt that is actually that of unbelieving. But the other criminal rebukes him. His precious and valuable breath is spent saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence. Of condemnation? See, what he's saying there is, don't you realize you're on a cross too? Do you not fear God in this moment? Why are you saying these things flippantly? 
And then he owns, he recognizes, he acknowledges his own shortcomings in the next sentence. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. Basically saying we're getting what we're deserving. This is the consequence for our sinful actions. But then he pivots towards Jesus and he makes a stunning profession of faith. And is there a better way to spend your dying breath? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus's precious and valuable breath is spent saying, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Would you look again at that final statement from Jesus? Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The criminal probably wasn't expecting Jesus to say anything to him. I mean, why, why would he? Knowing full and well each breath is precious and valuable. Why would Jesus spend it talking to him? I mean, there's nothing that this criminal can do for Jesus. He can't go to church. He can't get baptized. He can't minister to others. What does he have to offer this, this Jesus? Why would the king say anything to him? And yet, Jesus does. Why would, anybody, why would Jesus want this criminal? I, I don't know, but he does. And that's the same for all of us. Jesus doesn't need you, and he doesn't need me. Even better, he wants us. Um, this happened years ago. I was a college student, and I was working on a film set with a, a guy who claimed to be Roman Catholic, but functionally he was an atheist, did not care of the things of the Lord at all. Um, and we're driving away from a film set, and I... I I chose to make a movie in college with the sole purpose of witnessing to broken, fallen people, sinners on a film set. Uh, That's what my goal was. And so we're driving away from the film set, taking him home, um, trying to do this intentionally to share the gospel. And and Easter was approaching. And he was telling me about how, you know, I feel like I got to go to church on Good Friday because that's when Jesus needs me the most. And it took everything in me to just say, Jesus doesn't need you. Stephen, Jesus wants you. He doesn't need your worship. What kind of God would he be if he did? No, you are designed for worship. He doesn't need you on Good Friday. He's drawing you through Good Friday. He's drawing you to himself. And you can respond in one of two ways. 
like this criminal who professes faith or like the other criminal who doubts? And again, I don't say doubt in the sense of doubting that the Lord's going to get me through this. I, I know we all kind of experience these, these doubts. No, this is doubt that, that is right there with unbelief, right? This is the, the criminal's last shot in terms of save yourself and us. Prove you're the Christ of God and let, give me what I want. And how often times do we see people bargain with Jesus like that? Not out of a soul respect and reverence for the Lord, but out of a desire to get what you want alongside Jesus. No, Jesus wants you. And he will not force you, but he does, does a great job, job of drawing you. He wooed that criminal on the cross. And, and he, he, just, he was just himself. He was exactly, he showed himself to be exactly who he is. And in that, we are either drawn or we doubt. This criminal believed and he professed faith. And then Jesus responded. Here's a really helpful interpretive tool that you can use with any verse in the Bible. I, I kind of learned this in seminary, but when you're studying through the Bible, you can take any verse and to kind of feel the gravity of that verse, or maybe to go a little bit deeper in your study of that verse, just emphasize a different word in that verse. Say it repeatedly and just emphasize a different word. And so I want to show you on the screen how that's done. Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Truly, it's a guarantee. It's a promise. You can take it to the bank. Truly, truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. I say, Jesus says, and we looked at last week, he has the power and authority to say things like this. I say, truly, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. He says it to you. He says it to the individual, the, the, the criminal that's on the cross next to him. Right? He says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. It's a general call to forgiveness. And yet this man is the only one that takes it up. He says, to you. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. I find it very interesting that the man says, remember me when you go into your kingdom. It's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not going to have to remember you very long because it's happening today. Amen. Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. It's a guarantee. It's a future tense. It's coming. You will be. Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. That's what makes it paradise is you're with Jesus. You are present with the Lord, the powerful presence of the Lord. And when you're with him, oh, it's good. You're eternally with him. No separation between you and him. You're with Jesus. Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Oh, that's so good. And the new heavens and the new earth where every tear is wiped away. You don't get sick. Death is like a bad dream. Paradise. Life is good. 
reflect on the breath of each man who was crucified that day. One criminal used his breath to mock and to doubt. Is it possible that you are mocking or doubting the Lord with your breath? With the breath that he has breathed into you, the life that he has given you, is it possible that you are mocking or doubting? Mocking, that you're entertained by the very things that Jesus died for. You don't think about it that way, do you? Or doubting that the Lord doesn't care for your well-being. Like he's some cosmic killjoy that's taking away all the fun. One criminal used his breath to mock and doubt. The other criminal used his breath to profess faith. What did that look like, to profess faith? Well, hopefully many of you in this room have professed faith in your life. I'm aware there are some Christians who call themselves Christians but aren't really Christians because they haven't professed faith in Jesus Christ. They kind of grew up in a Christian household and... It's just a muddy mess when they look in the past. But no profession of faith. They aren't born again in the Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within them. Have you professed faith? And are you still professing faith? With every breath you have, one criminal used his breath to mock and doubt. The other criminal used his breath to to profess faith, Jesus used his breath to offer and promise true hope. Jesus used his breath to offer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and promise, today you will be with me in paradise. True hope. Hope that gets us through trials like we're going through today. In fact, True hope that leverages the trials for the sake of the gospel today. How do you respond to the claims of Jesus? The two criminals, they represent all of humanity. They witness the same truth, Jesus dying on the cross, and yet exhibit two completely different responses. They reveal their hearts by what they say. So how do you respond to the claims of Jesus? Uh, one of my favorite hymns is How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Um, when Anna and I got married, we had Katie sing it at our wedding. Um, and there's a really incredible line that um, I'm remembering because of, because of this, uh, this sermon. Um, it says, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Do you know that it is finished? Have you professed faith in Jesus like this criminal on the cross Heard the promise of Jesus to say, today you'll be with me in paradise? This brings us to our main point. 
Jesus offers all of us a breath of true hope in the cross. So you should use your breath to profess faith and offer others true hope in Christ. Jesus offers all of us a breath of true hope in the cross. You should use your breath to profess faith and offer others true hope in Christ. Maybe you need to profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time. You've been putting it off, you've been putting it off. Well, I want you to notice that the criminal couldn't put it off. He realized his desperate situation for what it was. We are receiving the rewards of our deeds and the hope of Jesus that met him there. Remember me when you go into your kingdom. If you're ready to profess faith in Jesus Christ for the first time, simply acknowledge your situation. I am receiving the just rewards for my sins. And then acknowledge Jesus as king of your life. Bring me into your kingdom and teach me how to live. How's that for the sinner's prayer? Bring me into your kingdom and teach me how to live. To know Jesus is to live. For others of us, we need to profess faith in fresh ways. We need to offer true hope in Christ to others. We are here today and gone tomorrow. We are but a vapor. We are but a breath. So how are you using your breath? What are you using your breath to do? Let me urge you to use your breath to worship Jesus and deliver hope to others. Jesus gave you a breath of true hope so that you would enjoy the life he gives and deliver the same hope to others. May your breath be filled with true hope.